Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. Today we're talking about Minute 16, which begins with our heroes riding into the stars and ends with Heimdall wanting to know how an enemy slipped his watch. We have two fantastic guests joining us today. We have Chrissy Lenz and Nathan Blackwell from the most excellent 80s movie podcast uh, back from season one. Welcome, you two. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Hi, we're super excited. Well, I'm speaking for both of us. We are both very excited to be here. (laughs) It's true. That is accurate. Well, I I, I didn't get to record you last time, obviously, so I'm really excited to have you on. You're talking about the the movies of my childhood, which I adore. (laughs) So I just have to start by asking, what is the most excellent 80s movie? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> that, that seems a good answer. Science. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Nathan, is that, that one you also agree with? Well, I'm not going to disagree, but I would agree, <laughs> maybe agree in addition that Raiders of the Lost Ark is also a, the, the most excellent 80s movie. And as always, technically, go. Nathan is correct, but I am here to be um, the loudest. And but the you're emotionally correct. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll, I'll need to post you to my uh, episode I did on my own podcast a while ago about time travel, where we concluded that Bill and Ted's is the only perfectly logical time travel movie because the characters have absolutely no agency. So (laughs) we'll have that discussion later. Uh, We're going to get into this minute of Thor right after this message. So what do you think about Heimdall? How do you think people really feel when they're traveling through the Bifrost? We are having all these great conversations this week with our guests, but we would love to continue the conversation with you about this movie, everything we're discussing, and more. We have a great group of Marvel fans over in our Discord community, and we would love to have you join us there to continue this conversation with all of us. Just head to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the Discord link. Let me ask you, too, just to jump right off the bat, what did you notice in this first minute? What kind of jumped out at you? It was exciting to see the Bifrost, and it was exciting to revisit Thor after all this time. I'll be honest, it's been a while since I've revisited the first Thor movie, and it was great to see uh, baby Hemsworth oh. and <laughs> <laughs> with his blonde eyebrows. Oh. and oh, uh, oof. oof. Yeah. And little baby Hamston, little baby Tommy. Oh my God. They're so. He he looked the youngest. Yeah. So adorable. Yeah. He looks like such a child in this compared to where he grows up to. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I know he's probably like 24, 25 when the movie's made, but still, he just looks so young. Minimum. Yeah. Uh huh. So we start with that great shot. It's the, you know, the glorious ride. And I love the way it's kind of going from day into starry night. You know, we're really getting to see. I think we're supposed to think Asgard is flat because it is that like, you know, the thing people used to say about the flat earth, you know, that you would mm-hmm. literally ride off the edge of the world and the water just goes down. What, what, Andy, tell us more about what we're kind of seeing in that scene of them riding across the bridge and the light changing from daylight into the stars of space. It's interesting that the way that they decided to construct it, because it is very much like, you know, setting this uh, idea of Asgard being like this meteor, basically a flat meteor. We've kind of seen it when we flew into it at the, you know, in the first few minutes where it just seems like on the underside, it's like some crystalline peak 
or something. And then on the top side, it's flat for the city and an ocean. Apparently, we have the Asgard Sea uh, right here. But then also, it's got like a strange uh, atmosphere that we kind of have a, a view of where when they ride out, it's daylight. And as they uh, kind of continue down the, the Rainbow Bridge toward Heimdall's observatory, you can see like the the starry sky and everything, and it's it's very much a a very full sky full of I don't know. It looks like we're looking at all the different uh, nebulas, I guess you know different nebulae. types of nebulae, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Exactly. It's they had an interesting um, needle to thread on this one, where they had to make magic kind of like technology and technology kind of like magic. At this point, mm -hmm. they weren't, you know, this is way before Doctor Strange where they were tiptoeing into the whole concept of magic. And so they had to kind of like present the idea. It's like, oh, our technology is so advanced that it looks like magic. So nothing here can actually really look 100% magic. There has to be just a slight buy-in that it is actually technology. I think that's a great point, and especially in the next minute, we're going to see that, like, it looks like there's gears working in the Bifrost, you know, to make it seem mechanical in that kind of almost, way. Almost like mm -hmm. steampunkian, but, like, the fanciest yeah, of all, the royalist and fanciest <laughs> of all the steampunkiest <laughs> ideas. Because All the bronze is perfectly polished. It's so It's so pretty. Not a fingerprint anywhere. Heimdall never just, like, straightens this helmet at all. Mm -hmm. It's all just glorious and gorgeous and pointy and full of little designs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's round ass guardian conspiracy theorists? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be kind of awesome, you know? I mean, if even in today's Since world, it's we essentially still... flat, we can see it that it's basically <laughs> like a flat city. It, like I, somebody I like, who's never ventured down the bridge, who's always been in the city. Yeah, oh, no, the, no. I can't see the edges, so it must be round. Mm -hmm, yeah, <laughs> you look at the other planets, they're obviously round. You know, I like to see, I like to think that uh, Asgardians are a little more evolved than, than uh, we humans, but it's certainly possible. You know, if we can have flat earthers today, they might have round earthers up there. Yeah, we might even be blaming Asgardians for them coming down and like prove it, like, because again, Asgard seems flat. Maybe they created the flat earther concepts by just hanging oh, out here too much. <laughs> Loose lips, you know, you drink at a tavern, you just get going to show some pictures. I don't get deep, deep cuts here now. Now I need to find out, like, what percentage of flat earthers come from Scandinavia? Because then you might be onto something there. You know, we got to find out. It, it, okay, let's get on it. So, it sort yeah. of looks like the Time Lord city. It looks like, um, which I, Gallifrey? it looks like Gallifrey. Um, yeah. Whenever you see Gallifrey with that like sort of crumbly underneath and then the big picture X top, which is also like magic as technology. Mm -hmm. Timey wimey. Well, I guess I guess that's next level architecture. That's where we go next, right? That's the right. That's the next plan. When we start building on meteors, I guess we'll we'll be doing the same thing. But it did make me wonder. It's like, is there sun? So like, how does this work? Is the sun always up then? Or is this like flat pancake? that they're living on, does it just like flip around around the sun and that's how they have sunlight and stuff? And like so many questions, like, is like, how do they have gravity? Like what, what the, <laughs> all these concepts, I don't fully understand it. They take now gravity I, pills, Andy. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot to, I forgot. We never don't get to see that. Don't forget your gravity pill. <laughs> see, and, and that's the thing. Like that's, that's the danger of telling us everything is science. Cause then you start to ask, well, why? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
as you were saying, Chrissy, we then do get that great shot of Heimdall. It starts sort of, you know, very off kilter. We just kind of see the it's a kind of uh, slide down from the top of his helmet. And of course, this is our first introduction to one of my favorite actors, Idris Elba. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's let's do we talk about the character or the actor first? I say let's talk about the actor, because I, at least for anyone who's done deep dives into like the making of Marvel, it, it's well known that he didn't love his time playing this character. Yeah. You know, he, Idris Elba, fantastic actor, my personal pick for James Bond. Yeah. Um, you know, great actor uh, in everything. I see him. But to be fair, sometimes making these movies, especially if you have a small supporting role, it's probably not fun. You know, put in harnesses, <laughs> weird suits, contacts, lots of makeup, and you're basically, your job is to shovel exposition at people. Yeah, I have to say, having just seen The Suicide Squad that he's a star of, I I do feel like DC won in terms of the best use of this actor. Like, I, mm-hmm. Heimdall, he's great as Heimdall, and we'll talk about that in a second, but his actor to be used just like this. It just breaks my heart. Yeah. Especially, you mentioned the contacts. Like, there's a lot of great things about Idris Elba. Part of it is his gorgeous, gorgeous dark brown eyes. And so every time I see those contacts, I'm just like, you you cut away so much of his face. Why don't you let us see his gorgeous eyes? Mm-hmm. Come on, people. <laughs> right. It's like if you gave him, like, you know, Matrix sunglasses, you know? Yeah. Like... I love the eyes, though, that they went with. Like, it just, it adds to this, like, mystical character who can see you know, across the universe through all the nine realms. I think there's something really cool about that. And I mean, I wouldn't want to put the contacts in myself. I hate wearing contacts. But I think that for the look of the character, I think that it works well. Plot perspective versus thirst perspective. You're probably right, but I just have to complain. (laughs) Exactly. I think, too, that like when you see, you know, Thor and Loki approach, and as we already said, it's little baby Hiddleston, a little baby Hemsworth. Uh, little baby Hemi and Hemi. Uh, and they are, you know, these <laughs> gods who are making themselves so big and important in that. And um, then they walk up to Heimdall and just like, oh, oops, that's a man. Like we were mm-hmm. <laughs> very impressed with this until you showed us this. And now it's like he has, just has, you know, because I think Idris Elba brings that to the Heimdall part is just even just like panning down on him. You're like, oh, Turns out he's in charge. Turns out <laughs> this is the person who is uh, the the uh, per, the grown up in charge of this situation. If they're really working on making characters feel like they they carry a lot of authority, it certainly is Odin. And at this point, Heimdall would be ranked second. Like those two, the way that they have been shot, it's very much in these kind of these stoic power positions. And uh, I think that it certainly holds true here because Heimdall seems like. He's in charge and he's not up for any uh, hooligan. No Thor, Loki shenanigans. This group. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you definitely get the sense of like, this is the palace guard who has had the princes like running around underfoot and just is never takes their BS, you know? Um, He's so, and this is something Elba does so well. He's just so, not even nonchalant, but just non-reactive, you know? The, the, The future king of this whole world is riding up to him and he's not batting an eyelash. Well, obviously he's powerful. I mean, they get off their horses like a mile away from him. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't even they don't even approach. They're like, oh no, no, we 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 better walk and show him the proper uh, respect that he is due. I, mm-hmm. I assume that's the reason why. I don't know why. It's it's very funny. 
Um, before we uh, move forward, I, I want to do the IMDb game with all of you for Idris Elba. If you had to guess what IMDb says are the four films he's known for, mm. what four films would Im- you Important pick? note, it's not just films, right? It's TV shows? Uh, films and TV shows. So then right. that's got to be think, Luther, yeah. right? Right. Mm-hmm. To me, it's the, wi- the Wire has to be number one. Mm. I, I've, that's what I mm. got introduced to him, and he's so endemic in that. Mm, Mandela. Okay. The Animals. Oh Jungle yes, Book? the one about the town. No, he went, no, the, the one where he plays the the cop who's a like water oh. buffalo, right? Oh, it, oh, it's the, the fox and the bunny. Yeah, Zoo, Zootopia. 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 He's also the right. Shere Khan in the um, right in, in the, the Jungle, Jungle Book, Book. Yeah. the live action Jungle Book. Right. right. Okay. I I don't know how much they're updated. If they're updated pretty recently, I think the Suicide Squad might be one of them. Yeah, I don't know if they generally update quite that fast uh, for mm-hmm. this. But again, I you know, who knows what the IMDb algorithm is. Uh, so, okay, so we've got uh, let's see, what were the four at this point? It was uh, Luther, The Wire, Mandela, and then you ha- also had The Jungle Book and Zootopia in there. Probably this one. And you think Thor, the first Thor? I'd say one of the MCU movies, but no idea which one it would be. Okay. Well, I'll just I'll just tell you you're you're not looking good with your guesses so far. <laughs> um, his first movie that's on there is Beasts of No Nation, ah, which is yeah. uh, a 2015 Netflix movie that he oh, had yes. uh, quite a bit of um, uh, buzz for. The second film is The Losers, a a completely different comic book adaptation that he was in that I think you know is it is speaks well for how he got into suicide squad because it very much has that same sort of uh vibe um the third one is thor ragnarok so you're right one of the mcu films did make it on here and the last one is mandela surprisingly neither of the tv shows uh so it's it's an interesting list like a lot of stuff i wouldn't have expected popping up on here for him I like playing this game, but I got to say, IMDb is starting to approach the Oscars to me in their level of like, I don't have any understanding how they're making these decisions. <laughs> it's it's a peculiar list. Kind of from the other side. So uh, Heimdall is a character who appears in Norse mythology. Uh, the Norse is Heimdallr, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, and he is uh, the, he's the watchman of the gods. He's often called the shining god. Uh, ironically, he is described specifically as the whitest skinned of the gods. Um one more time, where I think Marvel's doing uh, good casting and couldn't care less about that. Uh, he dwells at the entry to Asgard, where he guards the Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge. He required less sleep than a bird, could see a hundred leagues or a hundred miles, depending on translation. And I-, I love this specific one. He could hear grass growing in the meadows and wool growing on sheep. That would be terrible. Right? <laughs> Can't think of anything worse than that. but it's interesting because it actually speaks to i mean there was a there was a deleted scene that uh, happened in the last set of minutes where there's actually a lead up to them arriving here and there it's it's horrible because it was just very expository like this is who heimdall is but they're talking about how he can hear a a grasshopper fart in in niflheim and something like that like they have some odd specifics that they give for him so it's interesting that here we actually see that's probably because in the Norse mythology, they had some of these very specific things about right. him. It's pretty interesting. Also interesting because I think he's the first one to really kind of call out Loki as being deceptive, um, at least so forcefully. According to mythology, he and Loki are sworn enemies and they will kill each other when Ragnarok comes, uh, oh. as described in the, the Eddas. 
So just kind of a cool thing, especially that right. he has he clearly is not down with Loki. Uh, interestingly, in the comics, he first appeared in the issue with Loki and Odin, which was Journey into Mystery number 85 in October 1962. And uh, very much was just a kind of a dwarfish type of character, a bearded Viking sort of guy just standing there on the rainbow uh, waiting for people. There was no observatory. It was just him standing on the rainbow, letting people by. So Loki goes up and tries to talk to him, play some games, and Heimdall's just not hearing it. What do you think is going on in that scene? I think that, you know, Loki is, he puts all of his eggs in his trickery basket and his smooth talking, sweet smiling ability to, to charm people. And, you know, it does not work on Heimdall at all. And he's just like so chastised. He doesn't even move for the entire rest of the <laughs> interchange <laughs> until he's mm -hmm. dismissed, basically. Yeah. So it's, you know, as you said, Heimdall just sees right through him. And Thor is always trying to be like, out of the way, little brother, you know, like, I'm in charge, yeah? Um, which sort of just left the space for Loki to be the the whippersnapper, the trick puller. I thought it was interesting in the script how he actually speaks to his group before he approaches Heimdall. And he has this whole thing where he's like, keep your weapons sheathed and your mouths closed. This is going to take subtlety and sincerity, not brute strength leave it to me. And so we still have the leave it to me, but like all of that other lead up, I'm like, wow, I'm glad that they really condensed that. Yeah. Plus it also sounds like keep your weapons sheathed. Were they planning on attacking him initially? Like <laughs> what were they going to do with Heimdall here? Very strange. Well, especially because I think we quickly realized Heimdall is in support of this mission. You know, he, yeah. uh, and my assumption is that maybe he doesn't know that Odin specifically forbade it, but you know, he has that great fake out line where Thor says, you know, I want to pass. And he says, never have I allowed someone to like, <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it's a fun little fake out. But you also get the sense that I feel like he feels like his pride is deeply wounded. Like he has failed somehow and he doesn't know how that happened. And he needs to know, which I just mm -hmm. thought was a, a really beautiful little such a snippet. But that moment tells us so much about that character. And every it gets me every yeah. time, every time we're like, never. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> I'm, okay, right, 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 right. I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's uh, such a great fake out. And if I had any sense that he was a playful character, I would think that he was playing with Thor. But I don't mm. think he is. I don't think he's that sort of character. I think he is just so straight down the line with the way that that his character approaches situations. I think he's just very upset that something had happened that these mm -hmm. that these uh, frost giants had gotten by, and I think that he just delivers the never with such you know uh, uh, such force and then he pauses to give that emphasis so i don't think he intentionally is trying to play with thor's mm -hmm. feelings here <laughs> kenneth branagh is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> exactly heimdall doesn't seem the sort to tell a joke you know he seems like he is very straightforward he's very just like gravitas all the time well and just i mean look at his pose i mean he is standing there with all seriousness like he doesn't move he is i mean essentially a statue i mean he looks like those statues that we see all over asgard and the way that he's holding and he's got his sword there in front of him his sword is hofund or the bifrost sword um it's a weapon, but also we'll see it's the key to the Bifrost Bridge. But, um, I mean, it's a massive sword, and he is a massive character, and he stands there like a statue. I mean, he is he he is stoicism, really. Yeah, it reminds me of um, 
I've never gotten to actually test this, but the the guards at Buckingham Palace who are famous for never mm. reacting, no matter how much little tourists try to dance in front of them or other annoying things like that. <laughs> That's actually a great call. Like he totally is that sort of guard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else from this minute that jumped out at folks? Just a couple little tidbits uh, that I thought were interesting. The um, the Sea of Asgard is right here, and they wanted it to kind of create this giant waterfall that kind of falls off of it on all sides. And so they they referenced the Salto Angel Falls down in Venezuela to use as reference. And then the other last thing was also just a back to uh, to Hofund Heimdall's sword. It was made by the dwarf smiths smiths of Nidavellir, just like Mjolnir and Gungnir were. And uh, but in reality, it was a prop that was designed by a swordsmith in Indiana named David Delagardel. Thanks, David. <laughs> Thanks, David. You made a sweet, sweet yeah. sword. <laughs> yeah. And a key, as it looks like. A sword, a key. I mean, at some point, uh, not in this film, but we're going to see he also can activate a, a, a force field with it. So, I mean, it's a way to show obviously, off. Yeah, quite a bit of stuff he can do with this thing. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Kingdom Hearts video game series, but you could call it a keyblade, quite literally. Yeah, love that. Which is kind of fun. Kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you both so much. This has been a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to having you on for the, the next four minutes. We've kind of talked a bit about it, but for people who want to find more about you and the podcast you're doing and the other great stuff you're doing, uh, let us know. Okay. Most excellent uh, 80s movies podcast is, you know, available wherever podcasts are downloadable. Um, and it's on the Instagrams and the Facebooks at most excellent pod. Awesome. Well, definitely please check that out. Thank you guys for being a part of this. Thank everyone who's listening for your support and have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 